Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center at the Goiz Weta School of Business. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Doug Battle. How are you, Doug? I am doing great, Mike. NBA nearing the playoffs. And man, this time last year, you and I had a field day with the Minnesota Timberwolves when they made the playoffs, celebrating as though they had won a championship. That team has never seemed to have leadership. They have a lot of talent and they never act like they've been there before. Well, this year, this time of year, we've got Rudy Gobert, the COVID coffer himself, punching a teammate toward the end of the season or attempting to punch a teammate. And in the same game, Jada McDaniels fracturing his hand, punching a wall. And so a lot of punches thrown by the T-Wolves organization. I believe that's a team that's going to be in the playoffs. Right. I think that's right. Yeah, It's like the whole Justin Fields situation. Like if they're on TV, I am watching the Timberwolves because inevitably, yeah, they're right there at eight. So they're going to be in that play-in tournament. So potentially we could get another championship celebration if they make it into the playoffs through the play-in tournament. Rudy Gobert is one of the most consequential figures in modern sports, Doug. I mean, he... In American history. <laughs> no, he is, right? <laughs> He's on the poster for shutting down the culture, right? Yeah. I mean, he was essentially the... He was the straw. <laughs> he was the guy that did it. And I can't recall anyone punching someone else on their own bench. I can't. Not in basketball. In football, Alabama National Championship 2018... After the 2017 season, they had a player do it on the sideline and they won the game, by the way. They won the national championship. I was there. So I think I heard on ESPN, I was sort of half watching this morning, that one of them, one of them saying, now who was the other player? Who was the player that he hit? What was his name? Kyle Anderson. I think they said Kyle Anderson did call him the B word. (laughs) And then then the talking head sort of went into the idea, but that's not sufficient. So maybe you could throw a punch at practice, but not during a game when the cameras were on. It's always Doug. I'm not even kidding. Rudy Gobert seems to be perfect for the 2020s in terms of what he brings to the, in terms of what he brings to the media table. Yeah. I got a buddy who's a T-Wolves fan and he just bought a Rudy Gobert jersey last week. I was talking to him a week ago and he was telling me about getting a Rudy Gobert. And I said, you don't want to get Anthony Edwards. And he said, 
nah, man, got to go with Gobert. Like he just, <laughs> he keeps it, he keeps it interesting. And as much as I love the stories with Gobert, I love his response, his attempt to pretend to be genuine. Cause we saw this with COVID. He had to come out and apologize about blatantly coughing on everyone's smartphones and coming out and saying, you know what? I, I realized that wasn't the best decision given that there's a global pandemic and people are dying and that I actually gave COVID to <laughs> some of these reporters. But he came out and said, here's his quote on Twitter. Emotions got the best of me today. I should not have reacted the way I did, regardless of what was said, that, which is kind of a backhanded apology there, regardless of what was said, aka I was justified. I should not have reacted the way I did, regardless of what was said. I want to apologize to the fans, the organization, and particularly to Kyle, who is someone that I truly love and respect as a teammate. And then Kyle Anderson's statement was, crap, that's a substitute, crap happens, it's not the first time something like this has happened, indicating that there's a cultural issue either with the Timberwolves or particularly with Gobert. Yeah, he continued, we'll move forward. We want to win games. It is what it is. We'll keep it in-house. I mean, it, it ain't the first time someone has swung on me. I think our tempers just flare. That's all. It is what it is. We'll move on. We're grown men. So this is just guys being dudes. Well, I mean, look, I've actually got some sympathy to that. Yeah. I mean, the the heated anger that that occurs is fine. I think it's sometimes too much of too much is made of that. If both sides are good with it, it's sort of the passions were inflamed. Something happened. Move on quickly. I think that's fine. I, here's my other thought, though, Doug. As you're talking about Rudy Gobert, if we were casting a kids movie, you know how they would always cast a kids sports movie. It's like there's the fat kid. And then there's the kid with the glasses that can't run. And then there's the girl that's really a good athlete. Yes. You know, if we were casting an NBA team, I think you and I could agree that we would have Rudy Gobert as one of our players. Patrick Beverly as another one of the players. I don't know who else we would fill and in. They were on that. the same team last year. Yeah. But they might be our first two picks in terms of slotting this, putting this organization together for hilarious hijinks. I think, you know, I, I, I got to pull this up, but I made a list at one point of my like first team all pesky and Gobert <laughs> was starting at center point guard. I think we had Patrick Beverly, Draymond Green at the four. I'm trying to think of the three. We'll do this in a later episode. I have a full list of my team. I had a six man. I had a whole team built out. And I was like, I'm going to make this team on 2K and I'm going to just commit so many fouls and try to cause chaos and annoy everyone that I play. <laughs> so, but the crazy thing about Gobert is he got this last offseason, the Timberwolves gave up a haul to bring him in. I mean, they traded for him as if he were going to be the cornerstone of the franchise, which to me was a head scratcher when Kevin Durant was on the market, was on the trading market. And when Gobert's maybe not an MVP caliber player, he might play in the Olympics for missing piece probably was the idea right yeah i think that, that was the idea but star, was he like yeah. a team that already had carl anthony towns and anthony edwards i don't know if that was the piece they needed but they gave up four first round picks a rookie of the year candidate and one two three four veterans including patrick beverly by the way to bring in gobert four veterans four first round picks and a rookie of the year candidate from last year walker kessler for this one guy. I mean, that's the kind of trade package, historically, you would think, okay, they're bringing in a Kevin Durant. They're bringing in a, a top five MVP caliber player. So to come in, 
and <laughs> be hitting your teammates in the first season. I get the feeling these guys don't love each other, Mike. Okay, Doug. So I'm calling BS on that. I'm calling BS on that we love each other. And that's fine. And I can't help it. It's not anything I would say, but I'm sure there's folks out there saying that Rudy Gobert and the Minnesota T-Wolves may suffer from some toxic masculinity. One of your favorite entertainment properties. I actually took some time and was reading after watching the latest episode of The Mandalorian, delve into Reddit, which is probably a mistake. A deep, dark hole. A deep, dark hole. But the word toxic masculinity and whether or not The Mandalorian suffers from toxic masculinity was a cornerstone of the debate about the last episode. Wow. I know you've got some thoughts in terms of the celebrity guest stars and where Disney's going with that, but uh, you know, what did you think of the last episode of The Mandalorian, Doug? This pains me to say because I am I've been I think I've been in denial for years about Star Wars. I watch every new episode of oh, every Oh, you have my friend. <laughs> you have, you have totally <laughs> from the notion of like I love this franchise and I'm going to view everything that comes out from that starting point of I love this franchise and I want it to work. Yeah, and I feel like I've been grading everything on a curve. That's how it feels because you sit back and you watch some of these scenes. You touched on cameos. Lizzo and Jack Black and Back from the Future dude all in one scene in the Star Wars <laughs> Cinematic Universe. I uh, think his name is Christopher Lloyd. and he's the Back to the Future guy. Oh, he was on a show called Taxi in the late 70s, Doug. I mean, it's <laughs> astonishing that he's still around. Yeah, it, Mike, I couldn't stop thinking that like this is actually canon because it feels like an SNL sketch. We have on SNL hosted by Jack Black, musical guest Lizzo, but she's making a cameo in one of the skits. <laughs> and the random cameo, Christopher Lloyd as the token angry old man making his way into the show as a villain. It felt like SNL. I can't believe that this is what they're doing with The Mandalorian, a show that had a really solid first season, a lot of promise, built a lot of fandom. And what's the crazy thing to me, because this is a fandom podcast, we look at things from a fandom perspective, is how fans perceive it. Because you go on Twitter during this, you type in Lizzo's name, that's it. Lizzo Mandalorian. And half of the tweets are, yes, queen, you slayed. Like Lizzo Slade, she's an actress now. Like she's in the Star Wars universe. She's the best actor in Star Wars history. Like the Lizzo fan base oh, coming in. Oh. Look, and Doug, I'm not saying this from my perspective. And then you see uh, this. I'm just quoting folks on Twitter. So do not attribute this to me, even though it's coming out of my mouth. Yeah, Lizzo looks like Jabba the Hutt's wife. I mean, that's literally right, the right, other right. side, of it, right? Yeah, just and I saw the on, on hate. Yeah, the, well, Lizzo fandom is an interesting one because it's like you have like the fat shaming haters and then you have the like people who partially like her music, partially like her personality and partially like what she kind of stands for of just being happy, being yourself and who you are and being prideful about that. And so she's kind of a like a little bit of a political figure, even though she's not right, because there's so much politics tied up into that some of the ideologies on both sides. Um, for people that hate her and people that love her. And so she was such an interesting choice. But yeah, I saw the tweets of, oh, Lizzo was cast in Star Wars. What planet is she going to play? 
what just really mean stuff. And then I also saw the kind of overcorrection of she was phenomenal. She was the best character in the Star Wars universe. And so you saw that right out the gate. And then there was the division over Jack Black, where I, a lot of people like Jack Black. Like, I love School of Rock. It was a great movie. I know a lot of people love Nacho Libre. But it does feel, especially for a franchise that largely has been built on unknown actors, with the exception of, like, Harrison Ford. You don't have Leonardo DiCaprio playing Anakin. Like, they, they casted pretty unknown dudes that are now well, very well known. I mean, Harrison Ford was probably unknown at the very beginning of this. I mean, of course, I wasn't around, but yeah. <laughs> my understanding well, is that and I was about and I was about ten. But yeah, yeah, yeah. my understanding but, is that. But they didn't cast Clint Eastwood. Even in the sequels, like we didn't have Zendaya, we didn't have Leonardo DiCaprio and Will Smith in Star Wars. That doesn't feel Star Wars to me. Doug, you don't put Daniel Radcliffe in Doug, there. Doug, they could be having a conversation at Disney right now where they're saying. We need star power. Let's get Daniel Radcliffe and Hermione for the next group of, for the next trilogy. Right? I'm say I 100% expect that, and that's the problem. I think is that people, Star Wars fans, a, a large sector of them Sorry, feel Emma abandoned. Watson and Daniel Emma Watson, please. I yeah. don't want to miss the. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. They're pulling in these actors that are synonymous with other characters, and with Lizzo. It's Lizzo. Like, that's her character. That's her whole thing. So you just see Lizzo with Back to the Future, the guy. It's, oh, that's the guy from Back to the Future. He's in Star Wars now. And with Jack Black, you're sitting there saying, oh, it's Kung Fu Panda. It's it's Ned Schneebly. It's Nacho Libre entering the fold. And so it it doesn't feel... I don't know. I think the fans feel abandoned or they feel that it like these kind of cheap cash grabs, these little ploys to generate buzz okay christopher lloyd is 84 by the way yeah the back to the future dude yeah he's honestly i thought he was 84 in that movie (laughs) he might have he might be traveling back in time to act in this okay doug let me give you my two cents in all this and this is one of these comments that is truly worth about two cents as i delved into reddit and was reading the comments about the Mandalorian and these discussions about toxic masculinity and how mm. the Mandalorian does not suffer from toxic masculinity because he's willing to accept female leadership. And all I could think was, if you got a piece of art, a piece of programming of content, and the discussion on the web pages is all about whether your lead character suffers from toxic masculinity. And if anyone objects to the way the character is being developed, they are labeled white supremacists, neo-Nazis, et cetera. All I could think was, oh, this has gone off the rails. I mean, I don't know what the viewership (laughs) is for Disney, but this has clearly gone off the rails where one side is praising inclusiveness and the other side is being labeled neo-Nazis. I mean, it's insane. And I have to think that the vast majority of Star Wars fans are sort of sitting out there going, can we get to blowing up TIE fighters? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And well, here's the thing about Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, because we we did the same thing with Rings of Power a couple months back. But fandoms are built on escapism like these are people who want to watch who grew up maybe as children watching these other worlds and these mythologies take place and it's just an escape from reality in a totally innocent way there's nothing wrong with that 
but when you take the issues of our present world politically and the things that are that bring tension and that bring division and bring those into the mix make those kind of the groundwork for the story and that's something that's been done for forever but i think specifically for an audience that wants escapism they reject that so hard regardless of if it's i don't if it's a christian watching and the star wars is pushing christianity on people i they don't feel escapism when the real world comes into the fake world the escapism fans are mad and so i think with star wars you see on one side you see these mad people because they can't escape the world through star wars anymore and then on the other side you see people who are embracing it people who say liz is a queen this is great this is it's great to see female rep. It's great to see Bo-Katan be the leader. It's great to see female representation. It's great to see diversity. It's great to see all these things. And like not the escapism crowd, but the people who want to see present problems in the world depicted through fictional storytelling and addressed through fictional storytelling. So there's two sides. And I'm seeing that with the Lord of the Rings. I'm seeing that with Star Wars across the board. And so it's really interesting from a fandom standpoint. And we see that in sports. It's interesting from a marketing standpoint, too, because, right, I mean, we lack good data on this stuff. I mean, reports are that the Rings of Power was a massive failure, that very few people stuck all the way through that. And so just touching on what you said, Lizzo is a queen or she slays. I'm not going to try and do the voice. (laughs) Does Lizzo need to be a queen slaying in the Star Wars universe? Right. So I think the argument of the marketers might be, well, we want to bring new fans to all of this. But does that change the original IP sufficiently? And even if it, and look, even if the story is well set, there's always this issue, I think, of people in that fandom feel like the story is being changed, whether it's being changed to reflect current politics. And again, that's just boring. Please yeah. say this to all the writers in the writing rooms. It's boring. But even if it's okay, is the fact that it feels like you're being manipulated into you know something different that they're sort of using you to, to create a new property that is something different from what you tuned in for is that enough to set people off and i would argue that look phantom is a special thing right no one look i mean here's a statement no one owes fandom to anyone right mm-hmm. there's no team out there there's no celebrity to whom fandom is owed so if you're producing fandom oriented content Maybe you're walking a thin line and maybe that's not a comfortable line given today's environment, but that's part of the reality of all this. Like, uh, Doug, I mean, we're kind of going off the rails here, so I'll wrap this up quick. Like, I don't feel whenever I hear something like there should be more support of this sport or that support, that does not resonate with me. I don't owe the NHL more time with my eyeballs. Mm -hmm. I don't owe the WNBA with it, right? Mm -hmm. If anything, maybe I feel like I should scale back my sports viewing. I don't feel like I need to start. Look, I've started to watch F1, right? From Drive to Survive, right? I almost want to take that back. I don't want to expand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with Star Wars, I can't help but think like, what if you take those original films and you throw in Bono? What if Bono made a cameo and fights Luke Skywalker? What if Beyonce makes a showing in the prequels? Like, I it, it definitely... Oh. Takes Doug, you I, out of that. It takes you out of that universe and puts you back into ours. Let me let me make it even worse. What if in the original Star Wars trilogy, you inserted Jane Fonda 
And you made the whole Death Star massive weapon suddenly related to the modern day concerns with nuclear power, right? (laughs) I mean, you're laughing at that, but that's essentially what they're doing with these properties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, interesting observation and uh, with fandom, it seems like the direction we're going, like Disney's doubling down on this. I think for a while, after the sequel movies were really divisive, there was some thinking that maybe they'll retcon those. Maybe they'll change the thing. The Mandalorian first season did really well. Maybe they'll learn from that and start making more stuff like that. And the approach just seemed to be the opposite. And this week was the Star Wars celebration for Disney announcing new projects. And it seems like more of the same. They're doing another film with Ray Skywalker, whose trilogy was very divisive and largely disliked by traditional Star Wars fans. They're doing a new movie with her. And so doubling down on this seems to be the strategy. I think we're seeing it across media. I think we're seeing it in sports as far as like I touched on how sports is similar. We've got fans who see Black Lives Matter painted in the end zone and say, I'm not watching another NFL game. Then you've got other people are saying, this is great. This is what they need to be doing. This is what their platform is for. And so there's division across the board in all of our entertainment products. But with that said, I don't know that the trajectory is two different directions. It seems like everybody's going in the same direction moving forward with we're going to tie in these real world examples or parallels or messages into our stories, into our sports and into our fandom communities and fans. You know, I mean, this is the problem with Ted Lasso, right? Ted Lasso <laughs> yeah. was like the classic story of a fish out of water, yeah, right? And you drop him into England as football coach in soccer, but then you had the great characters of Roy Kent and Jamie mm-hmm. Tart, and but it was it was a relatively simple story about almost like the power of positivity. Yep. Right. And now it's about. I mean, it's issue after issue. I, I think the culture is such that people actually can't help themselves. Everyone's sort of like been almost polluted with the idea of, I have a platform. These are important issues. I need to address those important issues. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how this, because I, I don't think we can keep going down this path and have people keep <laughs> watching all of this stuff. I think a lot of people are tired of watching it and a lot of people aren't, but it's nonetheless, it's divisive. And you know something else, I mentioned this to you earlier this week, Mike, is that I'll see headlines on ESPN that could be on Fox News or that could be on CNN. And I'll see headlines on CNN or Fox News that could be on ESPN. And we need to start a segment where I read off a headline and you have to try to decide where it's coming. Is this from a sports outlet? Is this from a political or a politically charged news outlet? It's like ever since 2020. I mean, I guess things have probably been moving in that direction prior to then. But ever since then, it's like, Everyone doubled down on turning their entertainment product into a platform. I did see, Mike, I did see one thing. We're talking about everything moving in one direction. Baseball is kind of a traditional sport. And I don't know that we've seen all of this in baseball quite yet to that degree. Baseball's back. MLB's back. We had a player try to toss a ball to a young lady and clearly was throwing it to specifically one young lady and a man intercepted the pass and gave it to his kid. Didn't even look at the lady. Very rude. 
and it had its moment on the internet. And the little boy got the ball and he was all excited. Look, Doug, I mean, uh, two things. That video was a thing of beauty, right? I mean, that video <laughs> looked like it was scripted. But uh, and I'll, again, I'm going to push back, Doug, because I've started to read the comments on the interwebs. Okay? okay. I've started to read the comments. So I know the there's only like two or three characters that we can play in all this. And so, yes, there's one character that comes out. It's like... <sighs> How dare they? Back in my day, men were gentlemen and blah, blah, blah. But then the other character that quickly jumps in is women wanted equal rights. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so you can almost imagine that someone taking it a little farther about what about the sexism of the outfielder that chose to throw to the young woman instead of the young man? And the father was just merely writing the wrongs of that implicit bias. So there are layers upon layers of this. And I saw, I even read some comments that said, wait, th this might be a camera angle that's telling a lie here. We right. don't know who he was throwing it to. We yeah. just have the perspective from the young woman's friend who was filming her getting the ball. Right. So, Doug, my takeaway on that is, again, the internet and social media seems to be a universally bad phenomena for everyone. Yeah, we talked about like post-Trump, post-2020, people just digest the same information very differently. Like I think prior to 20, I don't know. I don't remember watching videos like this and thinking about, huh, <laughs> patriarchy and <laughs> bi bias and favoritism and equality for women and thinking about those things when a baseball is being tossed into the crowd. But you read the comments for anything now, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's a baseball being tossed into the crowd, and inevitably, someone's going to interpret it through that lens. And that's where the discussion goes. And that's largely our society. And that's why it's so hard to divide like sports. There's no separation of sports and politics. There's no separation of entertainment and politics. It's all the same. It's all become like this one big blob of mess that <laughs> we're all everyone's arguing about all the time. Let's keep it simple. I mean, it's I think people used to talk about the culture war, and I think a lot of people would almost tune out when they're talking about the culture wars. We're in the midst of a culture war. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's an episode of The Mandalorian. I mean, come back, coming full circle, right? There's an episode of The Mandalorian and the internet chatter on places like, again, sort of the low IQ environment of Reddit <laughs> is all about toxic masculinity. I mean, it's it, we it, the whole thing is just... It's completely absurd, but it's also, Doug, I mean, to your point, it's also what we've decided this is what we're doing, mm -hmm. right? My, my joke about there's like only two or three characters, I swear to you, you go on Twitter, I feel like everything on Twitter could be directed by like three or four people because it's the same perspectives without any nuance on both directions, just back and forth, just back and forth. Yeah. And depending on the initial seed and who, what the nature of the followers of the initial post, mm -hmm. you get either... I mean, you can predict exactly how the conversation is going to go. Maybe we're already, maybe the AIs have already taken over, right? Maybe the AIs are arguing with them with each other on Twitter at this point, Doug. <laughs> I mean, there, there's basically two robots and they have infiltrated people's brains <laughs> and they're just going at it constantly. And they're also writing all the scripts and they're writing all the news headlines. But that definitely seems to be, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't actually believe this. I'm just, just saying it's, it seems that way based on the um, discourse we see.
by these fandoms in response to sports and Star Wars and little things that used to be escapist utopias. I don't like the term conspiracy theorist because it, of it does. Of course, I don't. Most conspiracy but, theorists don't, Mike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I mean, there is a serious point there, right? It's like the notion that there aren't conspiracies when sort of human history is a bunch of conspiracies and people trying to get things done. But <laughs> you distracted me, Doug. But it was a fair point. It was, it was a fair distraction. Where were we, though? Like this issue of baseball. And so is baseball less politicized than the other sports? Yeah, perhaps. But. You know, I think like, that I just haven't heard the same level of discourse with baseball. Maybe it's because people just aren't talking about it in general. <laughs> but baseball well, and like hockey, like, do they have stuff in the outfield? Do they have like in the NFL, the end zones have some kind of messaging in them? And NBA, they seem to always have the t shirts for well, like social I, movements. I mean, hockey's been in the news of late for the pride events and in particular. Okay. Asking people to wear, asking players to wear pride sweaters. I, guess, I didn't know about sweaters, this. Okay. Sweaters so, during warmups and several players refusing. And then certain teams saying no as well because they had Russian players who would be in danger if they wore those pride events. And then you look at the <laughs> NHL's Twitter and seemingly the NHL's all in on, all in the middle of it. And again, I have, I'll say this, I have tremendous. In a way, I feel bad for the leagues, right? For the NHL and, and MLB, because there, there's this challenge. You actually don't have a choice to stay out of it, do you? Right? You cannot, at this point, staying out of it is viewed as taking sides by at least one side. Yep. And so all these sports organizations are either, I think the NBA is kind of proudly progressive and wants to be associated with that political side of the aisle. Yep. MLB and the NHL, I suspect that their viewers vote Republican 75, 80% of the time, I mean, probably something fairly astonishing, that they really don't have a choice because not only are they appealing to their fans, they also have to manage their athletes who are probably more progressive than their fans, but they also have to exist in a media environment that is much more progressive than their fans. And so it's truly threading a needle. I don't envy that situation. I mean, I think a lot of institutions are in that position, whether it's corporate companies, whether it's churches, whether it's these sports franchises or leagues. And so I think a lot of people are trying to navigate that. And it seems as though there's certainly a kind of a mainstream approach to that that we've seen with like the NBA and even the NFL and the MLB I haven't seen that as much and I guess it it does come from how much is this if this is just catering to and managing the expectations of your audience where like maybe the NFL and NBA audience is different than the MLBs but the MLB wants a younger audience so they're in a really tough spot where they can't they're going to offend they're going to yeah. offend their core audience if they go too hard but they're going to always seem old timey if they continue their their current approach. I mean, it's all complicated yeah. for these organizations. Part of it, the other part of it, and again, I think this is something that people don't want to say out loud, is that the players in the NBA and the NFL might be much more progressive than the players in MLB yeah. and in the NHL. And so now as an organization, you've got this dilemma of trying to manage your fan base, your media contacts, your media coverage – and the happiness of your players. And if the politics of those three groups are misaligned, they're misaligned. Look, maybe they've always been 
misaligned. Maybe NBA, maybe back in the day when Jordan was saying Republicans buy sneakers, that NBA players still voted 90% for D's. Well, the fans voted for 50% Democrat. The NBA has always been sort of different. Mm-hmm. From some of it. But back then, I think there was this sort of different cultural set of standards where the debates were more acceptable. But in 2023, it's not a matter of I'm opposed to the Republicans or I'm opposed to the Democrats. It's that the Republicans are evil in one direction or the Democrats are evil in a different direction. It is that word of, and I think that's, I don't use that word lightly. I think it is that that idea that my political opponents are evil that makes this essentially impossible right now. So I have a question for you, Mike. Is it possible in this day and age, in this climate, to create an entertainment product, to create, like, could Star Wars or could baseball or could any of these properties put out content that is universally received? Is there a formula for that? Or do you have to just pick a side and just go hard at it? Like, because that kind of seems what a couple of these organizations are doing in their approach but would it be possible like would it be possible for the mlb or for if someone else had control of star wars could they make a universally accepted and loved product i think sports has more freedom in this regard than look the nfl has largely shut down any protests dealing with the anthem right yeah so the nfl has figured it out Right. The NBA, I think, still has some messages. There's still some messaging, but they've largely shut that stuff down. And again, the NFL, the shield to protect the brand. In terms of artistic content, I don't think you can. I mean, I don't know if that sounds pessimistic or sort of an overly harsh opinion, but I think when there's politics in the writing room Mm -hmm. that you cannot create great art. I think great art, the stories that resonate with people are almost always going to be relatively simple story structures, right? Good versus evil. It's a journey. The characters are on a journey trying to save the world. I've said it before, right? But again, somehow you're trying to tell the story of the Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. Classic battle of good versus evil. But you also want to explicitly and deal with Bormer's toxic masculinity Mm-hmm. right it's not gonna it's well, not gonna work the lord of the rings is actually an interesting example because it's not an allegory but there's a lot of religious significance in those stories those books in the same way that there is with like c.s lewis's narnia books it's not preachy though like it doesn't you don't watch lord of the rings and feel like you just got the bible stuffed down your throat <laughs> i don't feel that way watching it maybe someone else does but there still was there's always been messaging in a sense and i think people with star wars would say well they were darth vader and the empire that was based on nazi germany and all this stuff like it's always been political or it's always been religious or it's always had some kind of right and wrong basis that's rooted in our real world but it's so specific now. It's so specific to the issues that are going on in our real world that there's not that escapism that I mentioned that Lord of the Rings seems to achieve because Lord of the Rings, while it was created by someone of a certain belief, that's a un- that was a universally accepted by, I mean, there are atheists who love Lord of the Rings. There are agnostics. There are people well, of all kinds of religions that enjoy Lord of the Rings. And I don't know that... One sort of supporting point in what you're saying, and again, I I don't know how much of this path we want to go down because suddenly we're like going down a path where it's 
things get very complicated. Yep. But I think if you think about the classic stories, they tended to come from when you say they come from like a religious background, mm-hmm. they tended to sort of be reinforcers of traditional values. Okay. Right. And in some ways you can imagine that a religious text is basically the accumulation of traditional values put in story form. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of the classic stories, like fairy tales, were all about kind of good versus evil and sort of lessons for life, right? And again, being kind of simplistic here, but that's at the heart of it. But now a lot of this stuff is almost more, It's I agree with you, it's too topical and it's also sort of revolutionary, right? Right. And it's going against the traditional values, right? And so these things end up being much more complicated to... They're actually hard to to put out there in a way that's going to be compelling to a truly mass audience that is steeped in those traditional values. Mm-hmm. Now, and I think the problem is, right, that a lot of the, the notion is, well, the traditional values are problematic and we need to use this as a platform to overcome those. Mm-hmm. That's a bad starting point for creating art that people are going to consume with their sort of free time, Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, we could get more complicated. This is like a PhD dissertation. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also some simple principles that are going on here. It's fascinating because I think creators and these co- like companies like Disney, I think they have to make a choice of, I, I probably think in their eyes, it's right and wrong. Right. And they want to do the right thing for society in their eyes, again, objectively speaking. I, and so they have to make a choice of do we want to create something that's going to be more universally appealing or something that we believe is going to shift society in the right direction. And I think that's where people come in and say, that's propaganda. <laughs> or people watch something and say, you're trying to you're trying to affect society. Of course, people can go to extremes with that. But I mean, I do think there is a choice of we've, we want to make something that is projecting these values that are, you use the word revolutionary, that are counter to what the traditional crowd is going to want to see and hear. And so that's where we're seeing this divisive nature in media where people are getting ticked off over Star Wars or people are getting ticked off over the NFL or an NBA playoff game, not because of the outcome of the game or anything having to do with the story, but the messaging in it and the undertones that go into it. And so again, it's, we're in a world where it's hard to decipher whether it's even possible to create something, because even if you make something that's absent of all of that, inevitably it it seems that it will be accused of that. It's not helping the problem and therefore it's creating more of a problem. And I don't think you're going to disagree with me. We are in a, a cultural inflection point in that the culture has changed like over the course of my life, the culture has changed. A lot, a lot of people my age look at the world now and go, w- what is happening? This is very confusing. Yeah. Right. And I suspect that even for someone of your age, about 27, that it is also kind of true that we're living through something where the culture is being shaken up for a lot of reasons, demographic, immigration, mm-hmm. et cetera. We don't know what it's going to look like on the other end. I don't think we're in an equilibrium where we're going to stay at this kind of, in this kind of, <laughs> tone for a long time. I'll tell you something else. I did an interview this morning with someone at NPR, National Public Radio, and they want to talk about high school, controversies with high school mascots. 
that had Native American themes or images. And so the classic case has always been the Washington football team, the Washington Redskins to the Washington football team to the commanders. But this is also something that has happened a lot at the high school level. It's a funny topic, right? Because we think, look, like Emory did a little skip for April Fool's Day where they're saying, kind of laughing at the idea of mascotting as a major. Mascots and team names are important parts of American culture, right? I mean, they are largely kind of unifiers of cities. They're the personification, the brands for the high school. What was your high school mascot, Doug, or high school team name? The Lions. Okay, so you were a lion. Okay, pretty yeah, and I wear I wear a G on my hoodie, and I was at the grocery store the other day, and somebody asked me, "Are you a bulldog? Are you yeah. a bulldog?" Yeah, which in any other culture, like, no, I'm a human. <laughs> but I said, "Yeah, I'm a dog." But it's a point of connection, right? And so yeah. it's something that it's something that matters, right? It's the and like we we talk about this all the time. The dog nation. I was a Naperville North Husky and part of the Illini Nation, right? These are meaningful things. Chicago Bears fans can find themselves across the world and have a conversation in a bar in Abu Dhabi, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you think back to when you're talking about these high schools and some high schools take a lot of heat as they're slow to change the mascot or the team name over. I brought up, I will always bring up the part of the story that, well, they will say like the Crosstown High School in Naperville was the Naperville Redskins. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I believe they changed that in 1992. If you go back and you read interviews with the alumni, they were all sort of proud of the, of the team name, viewed it as kind of this very aggressive, fierce warrior. And that's reflective of what the high school was. There was never anything, I think, malicious or mocking in any of these team names. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the perspective of the that's the perspective of the alumni. You're in high school for four years. It seems like an eternity. That's what you're, that's this point of linkage, right? On the other side, absolutely. It's viewed as a racial slur and mm-hmm. it's viewed as something that continues to marginalize Native Americans. But the, I think the point is, and neither side is actually coming at this from a bad place, Right. Maybe there's some miscommunication and you can make the yeah. argument that it's a team name. And so we may as well get rid of it if some people find it offensive because it's not particularly, it's not really producing anything. It's not, But on the other side, it is something that has a point of linkage for that Naperville Central community, for those Washington, D.C. football fans. So the problem, I think, is all these conversations are just completely lacking in nuance and in sort of good faith in terms of understanding the other side in the issue. Now, of course, these AI bots that I'm speculating about, they're not good faith arguments, right? So there are also a lot of people on the internet that are not good faith. They're just stirring the pot, having some good fun with all this. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Doug, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the clock here. Every once in a while, given how much of this society is built around these culture war themes, it's almost like you can't help but sort of dive in. So we will uh, we'll push off our discussion of the NFC South, which is actually, again, one of my favorite divisions in terms of looking at the quarterbacks, because this might be the most chaotic division in all the sports in terms of players retiring, unretiring, swapping between teams, a lot of really high draft picks. So we'll get back to that next week. I'll give you the last word this week. Anything you're looking forward to at this point in the sports season or off season? I think the NBA play-in, I enjoy it. I think that it gives – I've always wanted the NBA to have like a single elimination tournament 
in the mid like a mid-season tournament what i used to do and when i played basketball we would have tournaments throughout the season and this is as close as we get where something where like we we joked about the timberwolves earlier and how last year it was like winning a championship for them to win their play-in game and make the tur- make the nba playoffs where they would get swept or lose in five or six games whatever inevitably it is fun for me to see professional basketball in a single elimination format of course it's not really single elimination because the lo- there's a kind of a loser's bracket but it's not a series format and I enjoy it. The Lakers are in the mix, and that's going to be the center of a lot of attention because the Lakers Doug, always are the center of a lot of attention. Doug, it's perfect. It's the Lakers versus the Timberwolves. Yeah, it's per- the Two only thing missing. The yeah. only thing missing is Patrick Beverly. He's played on both of those teams in the last calendar year, and to my knowledge, he's not on either of them right now. And that's kill- that's that is just so infuriating to me. We deserve Pat Beverly in that game, but Pat Beverly aside, though, I mean. Rudy Gobert, LeBron James playing for a shot of making the playoffs. He's at a point in his career where he hasn't had a lot of playoff success since the bubble, and he's getting older. His kid will be NBA eligible. I don't know how much longer he'll be with the Lakers, Mike. And so it's kind of do or die for LeBron, and I think he's kind of past it. I think he's kind of over it. But the perception is going to be if he loses a playing game, we're going to see people hating on him. If he wins the playing game, if he wins a couple rounds in the playoff, if he led the Lakers to the finals, I think people would close the they would close the goat argument and just hand it to him at this age in his career if he were to do that. And so I do think the Lakers being in the mix adds some national interest that may otherwise not be there for this year's NBA playoffs. And so I'm bummed that the Mavericks and the Portland Trailblazers, some of my favorite players are not going to be playing. And that kind of takes away from some of the excitement for me. But nevertheless, I do love the NBA playoffs and that's kind of what I've got my eyes on. The NFL draft is kind of creeping up on us as well. So it's that time of year where even when it seems like the sports year's over, March Madison's, ah, sports are over until college football. Not so fast, my friend. We've got a lot going on. We've got MLB in full swing right now. Okay, and a little bit of look ahead. We've also gotten the data back from our annual fandom survey. So we're starting to hit that point of the year where we'll get into some nitty-gritty in terms of where American fandom is at. And, of course, as always, there will be our NFL fandom rankings coming up at some point over the summer. Okay, guys, as always, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. And next week we will talk... NFC South.